Our second reading today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 1990, Tony Griffith moved from Chicago to L.A. with a plan to seek his fame and fortune as an entertainer. After just a couple of weeks there, he received two phone calls. The first was from the talent coordinator of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, offering him a chance to perform his comedy on the show. The second was from a doctor telling him that his two-year-old daughter's cancer had returned. For the next year, Griffith says, he lived through the best of times and the worst of times. During the day, he stayed with his daughter, taking her back and forth to the hospital for chemotherapy and blood tests. At night, he went from club to club, performing comedy gigs and perfecting his routine. His first appearance on The Tonight Show was a huge success. In the parking lot at the end of the night, he ran into Johnny Carson himself. Carson told him he'd done great and he should start working on material for a second appearance. In the meantime, Griffith's daughter grew sicker. His second appearance on The Tonight Show was an even bigger success than the first, and he was invited back a third time. Before that third appearance, he received another call from the doctor. When he and his wife went into the doctor's office, the doctor told them there was nothing more they could do for their daughter. They asked how much time she had left. At most six weeks, the doctor responded, you should plan for that. Outwardly, Griffith forced himself to remain calm, but inwardly he was falling apart. How do I plan for that, he thought. I had a plan to buy her a bicycle, to walk her to school. I had a plan to take pictures of her on prom night, to walk her down the aisle when she got married. How do I plan to buy a dress for her to be buried in? We all know something about plans that unravel before our eyes. Plans for our careers, plans for our relationship, plans for our children, for our friends, for our loved ones. And no matter how many times those plans fail to materialize in the way that we envisioned, we seem hardwired to keep on planning, to keep dreaming about possibilities, to keep hoping for what the future might bring. Our scriptures offer us a pretty good sampling of people who make plans and then watch them unravel. There are married couples, multiple married couples, 
whose plans to have children are swallowed up in years of barrenness. There are parents who watch their children compete with one another for affection and attention and the family inheritance. There are leaders whose own plans for their lives are upended when they are thrust into positions they never imagined for themselves. There are people whose plans are destroyed by natural disasters, by disease, by conflict between nations, by exile and oppression. In the story we heard today from the book of Exodus, there is a new pharaoh, a king, who comes to power in Egypt, and he's got big plans. But before he even begins his work, he makes the cardinal mistake of any new leader. He forgets to learn the history of the people he's leading. So he does not know that the Egyptians have only survived up to this point because of a Hebrew named Joseph a man whose brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt, but who ended up serving in the court of Pharaoh. Joseph climbed to power because he was the only one who could interpret the Pharaoh's dreams. And by doing so, he enabled the Egyptians to make plans that saved them from a seven-year drought. But in Exodus chapter 1, there is a crisis for God's people, because the new Pharaoh that has come to power doesn't know this history. And so, rather than seeing the Hebrew immigrants as an asset, he brands them a threat. And he makes plans for them using the tools tyrants always use when they are afraid, oppression, and genocide. In order to prevent the Hebrews from multiplying, even though in the process he is cutting off his own slave labor, the new Pharaoh decides the answer is to destroy all the Hebrew boys who are born. First, he tells the midwives to the Hebrews to kill any male child when it's born. Thankfully, the midwives refuse to comply. They subvert that plan by telling Pharaoh, these Hebrew women are so strong, they have their babies before we can ever get to them. Of course, Pharaoh doesn't back off. He doubles down, decreeing that every newborn Hebrew boy be thrown into the Nile River. But it turns out that not only do God's people know something about plans that unravel, They also know something about using every tool at their disposal to undermine the plans of those who would perpetuate evil and injustice by exploiting the vulnerable and abusing the powerless. Now clearly, Pharaoh is most afraid of the boys. These are the ones he targets. But in one of the many ironic twists of this story, it is the girls the ones Pharaoh thinks must not be a threat, who thoroughly unravel his plans. First, Moses' mother creates a waterproof basket to put her child in, and the word for this basket in Hebrew is the very same word used for Noah's ark. Clearly, she hopes to give her baby boy a fighting chance at surviving these waters Pharaoh intends for his grave. 
Then Pharaoh's own daughter pulls the baby from these waters, turning the waters of death into the waters of salvation. But perhaps the most crafty plan unraveler in this story is Moses' big sister, who stays by the river to see what happens when her mother leaves because she can't stand to watch. Moses' sister witnesses this miracle of Pharaoh's daughter opening the basket and taking pity on the infant inside. And Moses' sister doesn't hesitate to speak up with an offer to find a nurse to take care of the child, thus returning her baby brother to the arms of his own mother, who will now be paid to take care of her son. Now you might have noticed that among all the characters in this story, God is nowhere to be found. Pharaoh and his daughter certainly don't mention God, and neither do the members of Moses' family. But in Scripture, God most often appears in the very places where human beings are pursuing plans of injustice and oppression and violence, and God shows up to subvert those plans, to unravel them, and weave together instead plans of love and mercy and justice and peace. Remembering that, we might recognize God at work in this story through these crafty, quick-thinking characters. Remembering that, we might even hear in this story God calling us to take part in all the unraveling. You might be familiar with the story of Malala Yousafzai, the Pakistani teenager whose plan to get an education was almost ruined when a Taliban gunman climbed aboard her school bus and shot her in the head. Her crime was that she had spoken out against the ban on girls attending school. Fortunately, she survived and has gone on to write books and win numerous prizes, including the Nobel Peace Prize when she was just 17 years old. In 2017, Malala wrote a children's book called Malala's Magic Pencil. At the beginning of the book, we see her as a young girl wishing she had a magic pencil like the one on her favorite television show a pencil that would enable her to magically solve all the problems in her life. At first, the problems she identifies are pretty simple. She'd like the pencil to stop time so she could get more sleep. Wouldn't we all? She'd like to magically create a football for her brothers. But then as she grows up, the problems become more complex. She wants a magic pencil that will bring peace in places of violence a pencil that will erase the injustices of poverty and the denial of education to certain groups of people. Eventually, Malala realizes she's never going to get a magic pencil, but she also discovers that there is a different kind of magic in a real pencil, which can be used to write words that can be read and spoken Words that have the power to unravel injustice and create peace. 
No doubt every single one of us here today has a few situations in our own lives and in the world for which we would love to have a magic pencil, a pencil that could rewrite tragedy, erase injustice, cross out suffering. And of course we know there is no such thing. But this story of Moses and all of these women, this story reminds us we don't need a magic pencil. We have our voices, our words, our actions, and these can make a difference. Even in the face of tragedy and injustice and pain that can't be erased. Like Moses' mother, we can use the materials at hand to try to buy a little more time for those who are at risk. Like Moses' sister, we can stick around to bear witness to the plight of our brothers and sisters in need and to speak up on their behalf with those who might be able to help them. Like Pharaoh's daughter, we can refuse to follow demands we know are inhumane and unjust and use our power and our privilege to act with mercy and love rather than fear and mistrust. And if we aren't sure what it looks like to act with love, especially when plans unravel and we find ourselves grieving the loss of the future for which we had hoped, we can remember that the God we worship knows a lot about unraveled plans. For scriptures show us a God who keeps making plans for God's people, no matter how many times those plans are unraveled. We worship the God who stops at nothing to weave together plans of mercy and love, the God who gave us the gift of Jesus, God's own self in human flesh, so that we could see exactly what that love and mercy look like, the God who used even the cross an instrument of torture and death wielded by an unjust, oppressive regime and turned that cross into a plan to bring reconciliation to the whole world by unraveling the plans of death itself. Our God is the master of taking unraveled plans and weaving them back together into something new and unexpected into a pattern that is part of a much bigger plan, a plan so big it is really hard for us to see, but a plan that we can catch a glimpse of any time God's people fight for justice and peace. So as we wait for that big plan to unfold for us and for all the world, Let's give God a little more yarn to work with by unraveling the injustices of our time. We can use our voices and our words and our actions, our very lives even, to subvert plans of injustice and oppression and violence and grief and to weave together a world of justice and freedom and peace and safety for all of God's children.
Amen.